enemies. What are you talking about? Because he said he has no enmity. In other words, there's no anger and hatred in his heart. His enemies are all gone, at least as far as he is concerned. Can you turn me down a little bit? Thank you. Then he, shared, he goes on to share, a man gave a golf ball, and he wrote on the golf ball the name of his enemy. And then he hit it as hard as he could. But how many know that it ended up landing in the rough? Because, you see, when you hate, you cannot not only see straight, you can't even drive straight. Because you cannot hurt another without hurting yourself. As the old saying goes, he who spits against the wind spits in his own face. Now it may be that you have resentments and maybe they're justified. Someone has mistreated you. You've been disappointed with life. You maybe have experienced you know, painful situations come to you. Maybe somebody's rubbed you the wrong way. Maybe you live in a very difficult or painful situation. And these things may be very real. But whether justified or unjustified, resentment is disaster to what's happening within us. No one has ever treated us worse than we ourselves have treated God. Yeah, that's right. The way we've treated God. Because every time we sin, we're part of the reason why he hung on that cross. And yet he continues to forgive us and to forget these things. And he isn't asking us to do something for himself or he's not willing to do himself. Rather, he forgives and graciously without any reservation. And if God's so great and loving, some people might ask, well, then why does God allow so much pain and evil in our world? <laughs> That's a great question. And, we're, and, I, and I just say in a world where God gives freedom, you know, some people choose to abuse that freedom. Isn't that true? Happens all the time. And in the hearts of humanity lies, unfortunately, a sin nature, needing to surrender to the transforming power of God's incredible grace. You know, God understands what it's like to be victimized at the hands of his own creation. He was betrayed, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was falsely accused, and finally he was crucified. The ultimate man was victimized by men. And I would even say to you every day, he continues to be victimized as creation abuses itself. So, the only way that evil is halted is when grace fills the human heart. When God himself is in control of our lives, we can now expect something other than evil in our lives. Each life that surrenders to his kingdom destroys the potential and power of evil in that particular life. So I'm not going to focus on why God doesn't stop all the evil in the world. I could say that we'd all be human robots, but, you know, God, you know, how, do, how can a victim, how can a person who has been victimized deal with the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, the frustration, the resentment, and really be able to move forward in their lives? And I think we can learn from Jesus himself how victims can become overcomers. And that's what I want to talk about just briefly tonight. Do you know in Luke's gospel, we pick up the story of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. And the first thing I notice is the injustice and the victimization that occurred to him. But you know what happens all the time? That victims are, you know, the people who are the victimizers, we'll, we'll go there, are really trying to somehow control other people. 
They're trying to rise above their own sense of inadequacy and worthlessness, and victimizers abuse others thinking that the victim is either unwilling or has the inability to stop them, which then makes that victim less valuable. But some people feel empowered, too, by abusing other people that they think is weaker than themselves. And so I asked myself the question, why would the soldiers guarding Jesus become so absolutely abusive to him? Isn't that kind of an interesting thought, you know? Did they have to be this way? I think one reason is that they were inspired by demonic forces. That's one of the reasons. And they were venting their hatred towards the Lord Jesus. Notice what Luke says about their behavior in Luke 22, verse 63 to 65. He said, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they, they said many other insulting things to him. You know, I think, why, do, why does, um, what drives people to such levels of cruelty? Well, for these soldiers, it was a hardened, hardening lifestyle. They were used to, you know, brutality. They, they became immune to sensitivity in their lives. And for the religious and political leaders of Christ's day, it was, a, it was a threatening lifestyle. They were losing control of the people, and so they were threatened by Jesus. And the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 18 uh, that, that Pilate himself knew that it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him because they had felt like, you know, people were listening to him. So, you know, this whole trial was actually an absolute mockery. There was no willingness for justice. They had their minds already made up. They wanted to see Jesus dead. Now, they, they maintained their unbelief in the face of great evidence to the contrary. One of the reasons why I think relationships are justified is that we end up trying to control other people. And therefore, thereby, we actually destroy a thing called intimacy. We lose that. When I speak about intimacy, I'm talking about the ability to share openly our feelings to each other. And it was evident that these religious leaders traded the opportunity for intimacy with God in order to have control over a religious system. What a great tragedy. And I think a lot of people make that same mistake today. It happens in homes where people are trying to control the behaviors of others and they build up a wall of alienation and rejection. And, I, and I'm not just talking about you know, Pilate or Herod, but look at the crowd and their response to Jesus. The people were putting pressure on Pilate to crucify Jesus. That emotional mob mentality that was pressuring the, the, the judge to go against the grain of justice. I think we live in a world where justice is many times not served. How do we respond to it? How did Jesus respond to being treated without justice? How the people themselves chose Barabbas, a convicted murderer and an insurrectionist over Christ himself. You know, they had actually given up on Jesus as being the answer to their Roman captivity and they looked once again to a failed patriot. How many times do we trust what hasn't worked in the past rather than turn to Jesus for the answer? And what's the general response to those who have been victimized? Anger, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness. And then we find here in our story the victory that Jesus brings over this whole situation. What was meant to destroy was actually a vehicle that God was using to reveal his love and forgiveness. 
Here the leaders were trying desperately to maintain control, and we find Jesus was totally in control. And I was sharing this the other day. It's interesting that it seems as you read the Gospels that the others were actually on trial and not Jesus. That Jesus actually had control of his emotions. He was self-controlled. He was composed in the midst of an amazing crisis in his life. And that he realized what was really happening. And he was actually purposing to walk this way because he knew it was his Father's will. It was the vehicle to bring salvation to humanity. And so Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, he says these amazing words to people who were hurling verbal abuse, who had literally crucified him, and as they were dividing the lot for his clothing. And it says, forgiveness, well, let me go back and say, Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, how many can say, well, wait a minute, yeah, they knew what they were doing, they were crucifying him. No, I think what Luke is telling us is that they did not know who they were crucifying. They did not understand that the person that they had been anticipating, looking for, hoping that this Messiah would come and bring freedom to him was the, actually the one that they were now crucifying. And Jesus you know, says to them, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Time Magazine says this, a past article of one, it says, forgiveness does not look much like a tool for survival in a bad world, but that's what it is. Those who do not forgive are those who are least capable of changing the circumstances of their own lives. That's a very powerful statement. But what happens when we struggle with forgiveness? Something which we all do at some point when we have been deeply hurt and you know, some of us may be aware of the story of Corey Ten Boom. She was a, a, a Christian woman who lived in Holland during the Nazi occupation. And her father and her sister uh, were actually hiding Jews in their home. And they were caught. And they, as well as these Jewish people, were sent into a, a concentration camp. And it was there that her father and her sister died. And all of the brutality that went on in a concentration camp. And you can imagine coming out of this. She survived it. And now she has to deal with the, with the sorrow and the loss and the pain and the hurt and the abuse and all the indignities that went on there. She was dealing with forgiveness issues. And so... Uh, she had forgiven the person, she'd said, but she kept rehashing the incidences, so much so that she was unable to sleep. You can appreciate this, right? So she's trying to do the right thing. She knows, as a Christian, she needs to forgive, but she's struggling with it. And she was crying out to God to help her, and it came in the form of a kindly pastor. And he said to, he said to Corey, he says, to whom, uh, who she said to him, I've, I've, I've been unable to sleep for a couple of weeks, and he said, you see that church tower there? There's a bell inside. And when that bell is rung, the ropes are pulled, he says, and then the ropes are let go of. Do you know the bell is still swinging and still ringing? But he says, eventually, the bell stops moving. And he said, just like that, I believe the same is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we, can, we actually are taking our hand off the rope. And what we've been tugging on, 
in our, our soul, these grievances for a long time. But we should not be surprised if the old angry thoughts come for a while. And they're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And then she wrote later, and so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings, and the subject came up in conversation. But the force with which my willingness in the matter had literally taken that sting out of the situation. And there came less and less often until at last the feelings of hurt and pain and resentment and bitterness were now gone. And so I discovered another secret of forgiveness. We can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. Here we finally see Jesus on the cross, surrounded mostly by hostile comments and sneering people. And after forgiveness, Jesus commits himself to the Father, and we see this impact that it has on the lives of people around him. You know, it was interesting, and you don't pick this up unless you carefully look for it, that when Jesus said those words, Father, forgive them, something happened. Remember, you know, as you read Matthew and Luke, you've got to compare the two Gospels. You'll know there were two criminals being crucified with him. And Luke says this in his account in chapter 27 and verse 44. It says, in the same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now, how many know that it's plural there? So the both of them are insulting him, right, in Luke's Gospel. But after Jesus said those words, we read, you know, because he says this in Luke 23, verse 34. But in verse 39, a little further into the story, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. So now Luke's going to give us a different vantage point. And he's giving it, I think, from Mary's perspective. He's getting the story from the mother of Jesus. And he says to Jesus, are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Hmm. He said, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I, I think he started the same way. He was jeering and mocking. But when Jesus said those words, something stopped him. And something became different inside of him. And he realized how hollow and shallow those words really were. And he asked Jesus to forgive him and to remember him. You know, Jesus said, I'll do that. You know, then the Bible goes on to say, which is beautiful, in verse 47, it said... The centurion seeing the soldier, the centurion. This is one of the, the guys that are crucifying him, right? When he saw what had happened, he praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Isn't it amazing the power of forgiveness? What am I trying to show you? That when you and I exhibit forgiveness, we change the environment that we're in. We change what is happening to the people. Not only within, not only we, we change ourselves, but we're changing what's happening around us. It says the centurion said, surely this was a righteous man. And then in the very next verse it said, when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Now, when you're beating your breast, that's an expression of deep contrition. 
they recognized. They had, they had gone from sneering and jeering to solitude and contemplation. They were actually now reflecting on what was happening. Because, you know, the expectation is when we hurt somebody, we're going to get evil in return, right? You know, evil renders evil. But you know, here in our story, that's not what Jesus does at all. What does he do? When evil is done to him, he does good. And folks, that's how you overcome evil in the world. You actually overcome evil by doing good in response. We can't be responsible for other people's actions, but we can be responsible for our own actions. We may not always be able to protect ourselves from others, but we can choose how we're going to respond to what they say or do to us. We can let their actions control us, or we can choose to forgive them, freeing ourselves from the real poison, poison behind every evil. The evil that we do to ourselves when we remain in the bondage of unforgiveness. Listen to them once again, and I'm going to close with a word of prayer. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. You know, when we read that, sometimes we see that them is only the people in front of Jesus. Sometimes when we hear that word them, we think it's the soldiers that nailed them to the cross. But as you leave tonight, I want you to hear, think of the word them as being me and being you. Father, forgive Paul. Why is he telling me? Why is, the, why is he saying this on the cross? Forgive Paul. Because my sin brought him there. Why is he saying forgive you? Because it was your sin that nailed him there. That's a very profound thought, folks. And when we see it that way, it has an impact on us. It changes our attitude towards sin. It really does. You know, a lot of people are very flippant. And they're very foolish. And do not realize the danger and the deadliness which sin brings into our lives. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus came. He came to die. To take our place. And I'm so glad he did. And if you and I receive that tonight... If you and I, like that thief that was jeering for a while, but now hear those beautiful words of forgiveness, if we take that upon ourselves and say, remember me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. You know what God's going to do? He's going to forgive us. He's a forgiving God. Isn't that beautiful? And when we receive that forgiveness, we can live in a new way of living under no condemnation. Isn't that powerful? You know what? That is the most freeing thing in the world. The greatest freedom on this planet is not that we have economic freedom, political freedom, but that we have spiritual freedom. We have freedom inside of our souls. To whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Amen. Father, I thank you for this freedom. I thank you for this life. I thank you for your way. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for your forgiveness tonight. And I thank you that you showed us the way to live. 
You showed us how to live an overcoming life. And I pray tonight for everyone in this room who has been victimized, abused, taken advantage of, and has allowed resentment and bitterness and hurt and anger to really define them as individuals. I now pray, Father, that you would speak into their hearts and allow them to be free from their pain and their suffering and their sorrow. I pray tonight that we would leave this place experiencing your freedom, experiencing your joy, experiencing your peace, your hope, because we've experienced your forgiveness. And Father, we have chosen to walk the way of forgiveness. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.